All right. Well, I appreciate you, Perry Ann and Eddie. Oh, you guys leave me hanging there. Okay. All right. Uh, appreciate you guys very much. And I do hope if you're able that you'll join us tonight. Uh, thank you, Scott, for the uh, nice, feel strong prayer rally. There'll be some great testimonies and uh, it'll just be a powerful time. And so would love to see you there. If you are new with us this morning, or maybe you're watching online for the first time, I just want to say that we are so grateful to have you as our guest and we would love to get to know you. Um, you can stop by one of the welcome tents on your way, way out of uh, the building today uh, or welcome tables or you can um, text the word connect to the number that you see on the screen and one of our team members will follow up with you this week and we'd be happy to help you learn how you get, can get connected in the life of our church. Also an opportunity, an opportunity to connect today is our Discover Bayshore lunch. So that'll take place at 1215 which follows our 11 o'clock service and 11 o'clock uh, life groups that meet during that time. And uh, you get free food and you get to hear a little bit about our structure and vision as a church and how we how we function and then ask questions that you might have. So, you know, if you're interested in learning more, or maybe you just want a free meal, we'd love to see you uh, in the gym, fellowship hall area at 1215. And if you are uh, considering becoming a member of our church, this is actually the first step in the membership process as well. Well, today we are going to be in Mark chapter 6. We'll be finishing up Mark chapter 6. And uh, next week we move into Mark chapter 7. And as we do, uh, the themes of what is being discussed in the gospel of Mark uh, begin to shift a little bit. And so we're actually beginning a new uh, teaching series, continuing with the theme of he is greater than, uh, but uh, moving into he is greater than tradition. And so uh, I certainly think that Jesus' interaction with the religious crowd and some of the traditions that they had at that time uh, will definitely give us a lot of insight uh, into uh, what it really means to pursue Jesus today. Uh, but today we do come to the conclusion of our He is Greater Than Fear series where we have looked at passages of scripture in the gospel of Mark and the other gospels that really emphasize Jesus's deity and Jesus's authority. These are written through the lens of the first disciples. And so these passages give, give us insight not only into his power, but how we can approach uh, his power. As we prepare to read Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through the end of the chapter, I want us to revisit a point from last week very quick. That is this. If you are looking for Jesus to boost your spiritual pride or your earthly desires you will miss the miracle of the bread. The Gospels are clear to emphasize that people miss the point of the miracle of the feeding of the multitude because they weren't looking for God. They were looking for something else. And today's text further illustrates how we miss what God is trying to show us because we are looking for something else and how God is gracious to show us over and over. So let's read our text today and then talk about what God wants us to see. Mark chapter 6, verse 45 is where I'll begin. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. 
And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many touched it, were made well. Now, as we read last week, Jesus was teaching and healing a large crowd, and it became late. So Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish that the disciples were able to get from a boy, and he multiplied it, and he fed everyone. Now, John mentions in his gospel that the crowd then wanted to make Jesus king. And we also know that the disciples were ready for rest. So Jesus sends the disciples ahead of him in the boat while he dismisses the crowd. Now, this isn't forceful. This doesn't seem forceful. It was just time to call it a night. Thank God was doing a lot of good things, but, you know, it was time to end it. Our student minister, Alec, can relate. God's moving, but it's time to go home, kids, sometimes. You see, for me, as a lead pastor, I never have that problem getting people to leave. In fact, often as we're closing the service in prayer, people are already heading out as quick as they can. So Jesus has to dismiss the crowd, and he does dismiss the crowd, and then he heads up on a mountain to pray. This is not one of our main points in the text, but it is one of the main takeaways from all of the gospel writings. Jesus spent time with the Father. Jesus spent time with the Father. We see this throughout his ministry. As Jesus is baptized and begins, begins his ministry, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days where he will ultimately be tested. But the purpose of that was to spend time with God in preparation for the ministry that he had. We see times like what we read today in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus withdraws from the disciples and withdraws from the crowds to spend time with the Father before beginning whatever is next. In the garden in Gethsemane, right before Jesus is arrested and tried and crucified, he spends time with the Father and we hear his heartfelt prayer to God. And if Jesus did this, then we need to take notice if we intend to live our lives for God and do difficult things for God, then we need to depend on him. This cannot be just lip service. We cannot just say, yes, I depend on God and not really depend on God. If we want to get better at our profession and there's someone who we know who is well skilled in our profession, then we should try to spend time with that person, learning from them, being mentored by them. If we want to excel in a sport, then we need to try and spend more time with our coaches or with someone who uh, can coach us up. If we want to improve in our school, then it might be wise to spend time with a teacher or a mentor. One of my children, I was talking to them just the other day about school and challenges that come with school. And I said, I just want you to know if you ever needed help with anything, you need to let me know and I will make sure that I help you or we get you the help that you need. And I am just a flawed earthly father. Your heavenly father is there for you and he has a calling on your life and he wants to help you with that. 
And Jesus knew this. And so Jesus spent time with the Father. There's a transition in Jesus' ministry that is about to take place as he really begins to interact with the Pharisees and to start talking about his faith. And so Jesus spends time with God. If the tradition of Tagbah is the correct location for where they're at, then Jesus probably went up on the Eremos Ridge, and as he was up on the Eremos Ridge, he could actually look out and see the disciples in their boat on the Sea of Galilee. And Mark says that Jesus saw that they were rowing against the wind. Now, this wasn't a sudden violent storm like what took place in chapter 4, but it was a sustaining wind that was blowing against them as they headed where Jesus sent them. In Matthew's gospel, he says, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. The direct translation of long way means many stadia. John indicates that they had actually made it about four miles. So the Sea of Galilee is about seven miles wide. So they're about in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and they're having a hard time. And so Jesus goes to them. He goes to them in the fourth watch of the night. That's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Mark says that Jesus meant to pass by them. Now, one of our life groups could spend their whole time going over this and even go over time making our nursery workers antsy, debating what it means that Jesus meant to pass by them. I think it's best understood if you read it from the perspective of an eyewitness account of what took place, describing where Jesus was traveling, how Jesus was traveling. He was headed past them. His direction was taking him beside them, and there was no indication of him stopping two eyewitnesses. And so they thought, this is a ghost. The word phantasma is used, which is a word that would be used for a dream-like appearance or a spirit appearance. It's rooted in an Old Testament word that means deception. And so it's very likely that the disciples could have thought this was some kind of spiritual attack. I mean, they are doing ministry with Jesus. They've seen God working in powerful ways. They're headed somewhere else. Perhaps they thought they were under spiritual attack. And so they cry out. Regardless of why, they cry out. And their cry is not a prayer. And it's not a, it's not a cry out of faith. They're afraid. They're disoriented, both physically and spiritually. And yet, Jesus comes to them. Our Alan Cole says this, God's willingness to answer us is not limited by the poverty of our asking. God's willingness to answer us is not limited by the poverty of our asking. What we see illustrated in this passage and what you need to know about God is that he isn't there to help us only when we get the formula right. God doesn't help us on the condition that we follow all the rules for asking him in exactly the right way. And in fact, God often helps us when we aren't even ready for his help. God shows up to help us when we are just frustrated with our spouse and our child or our family member, and we aren't really even asking for God's help yet. We're just saying how frustrated we are. God shows up to help us when we are starting to get overwhelmed with all the things going on in our life, but we haven't turned to him yet. 
God shows up to help us when we are lost and we're thinking about looking for answers, but we haven't made it to church yet. God has a way of showing up before we have ever asked him or started looking for him. That is God's grace for his disciples. I don't know how many times in someone's testimony I have heard them say to me or heard them say, it was like God was always there or already there even though I wasn't looking for him. That's God's grace. And here Mark says that when they cried out in fear, Jesus spoke to them immediately. And he said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. We end the series with the disciples in a storm. And we started this series with the disciples in a storm in chapter four. 10 weeks ago, we saw that Jesus was awakened by the disciples who were afraid for their life in a storm and he asked them, why are you afraid? His reason for questioning them and their fear and saying they did not have much faith is that he was with them. Now, he says, I have come to you and so you no longer need to be afraid. In the previous instance, in chapter four, he was with them in the boat where he sent them so they did not need to be afraid. They then came to that realization. Now he grows them even more by sending them without him and then coming to them in their time of fear. But notice what Mark writes in chapter 51 and 52. Verse 51, and he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Mark says, hey, they were astounded that the wind ceased when Jesus got in the boat. And he says, they were astounded because when Jesus fed the multitude with the bread, they didn't get it because they had hard hearts. What Jesus wants to do with the disciples in this, but throughout his whole time with the disciples, is he wants to grow their faith in him. And Mark wants us to understand that the disciples failed to grasp who Jesus was. And that their failure to grasp who Jesus was was connected to their hard hearts, their calloused hearts, that their hearts were covered with a thick skin is what he's literally saying. What's happening for the disciples, they are failing to look beyond the moments. They are failing to look beyond the circumstances and to really realize who Jesus was and what that means for them and what that means for those who are following him. Now, some have sought to downplay what takes place here by explaining away the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. I like how R. Alan Cole addresses this. He says, It is sheer exegetical nonsense in this context to talk of shallow water or even sandbanks or to translate the phrase walking on the sea as walking by the lake. None of these happenings would have terrified or even surprised Galilean fishermen. Whether we like it or not, this is portrayed as another nature miracle bearing witness to the divinity of Jesus. That's why this is happening. It's an opportunity for the disciples in the first century and for the disciples for centuries to see who Jesus 
is. Dr. Edmund Heber says the supernatural way in which Jesus revealed himself to them that night was obviously intended to bolster their faith. Even if they could not understand his ways, it let them maintain their confidence in him because of what they knew him to be. The disciples are in this boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. The wind is blowing against them. They are afraid, and then all of a sudden, here is this figure that appears to them like a dream figure or like something from the spirit world, and they are afraid and cry out, and Jesus says that it is him. And they have to be thinking, how is that Jesus right there on the water? And what is he doing? And why is he doing this? Those are the questions that the disciples must have had on that night. And those are the questions that we often have. How is God doing this? What is God doing? Why is God doing what he is doing? But something that is incredibly important for us to grasp and freeing for us to grasp and empowering for us to grasp is this. You don't have to understand his ways. You just have to trust that he is the way. You don't have to understand his ways. You just have to trust that he is the way. This is a pillar, a cornerstone of what it means to be a Christian. That we don't have to understand all of the ways of God, but we just have to trust that he is the way. And when you stop trying to figure out all the questions that man has wrestled with for millennia without clarity, it's freeing. When you stop trying to figure out what month and year Jesus is coming back, or what political figure is the Antichrist, it's freeing. When you stop trying to figure out the exact reason for every little minute detail of your life, and when you stop trying to figure out all of God's timing, and even when your understanding of God's authority over death trumps your pain from the death you've experienced, there's something incredibly freeing and peaceful that happens in your life. At this time, the disciples are still pretty confused about Jesus, but something would continue to become clearer and clearer to them. He has authority. And eventually, that would be fully revealed to them in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And when they arrive to the shore with Jesus in their boat, people recognize Jesus at the shore. And people brought people to him to be healed. Mark says this in the language he uses, the tense it's written means this is ongoing. So they were hearing about him and they were bringing people to him. He's kind of summarizing the ministry in Bethsaida, the region around there. And they have faith in him. And they touch his garment and they're healed. And it's not the garment that has the power, it's the faith that they have in Christ that has the power. We've seen that very clearly articulated and emphasized to the woman that touched the garment of Jesus in chapter five. And the disciples would see again the authority of Jesus on display. This was what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. You continually didn't understand who he was and he continually demonstrated the authority that he had. Now, I wanna look at a detail though of this account 
that Mark does not record in his gospel, but Matthew does. So we'll go back to Matthew's gospel. That's the book right before Mark in Matthew chapter 14. And I wanna read verse 28 through 33. Matthew chapter 14, verse 28 through 33. It gives us just a little more insight in what takes place in the, in the occurrence that we were just reading about. And verse 28 says, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So after Jesus says, take heart it is I, do not be afraid, Peter from the boat says, hey, if that's you, command me to come to you on the water. Verse 29 says that Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, the Lord does not rebuke Jesus, or Peter for coming out of the water or asking to come out of water. That's actually faith. But he does rebuke him for doubting as he walks on the water. And certain personality types and leaders can identify with this, right? We're the ones who are like, yeah, we'll come to you, Jesus, but we still have the same doubts that the people have on the boat. And people just see it happening. And verse 32 says, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now, in Mark's occasion, he says that there were those who were utterly astounded. They had hard hearts. And in Matthew's, it says there were those of the boat who, who worshiped God. And you might think, well, how were there those in the boat that uh, did this and those in the boat that didn't? And I would say to you, because there are multiple people. There are also multiple boats. And so one could be talking about the boats and one could be talking about one particular boat. But what we see taking place here is we see faith in Jesus and we also see hard hearts towards Jesus. I, I wanna particularly zone in on what Peter did. Peter fought, trusted in Jesus and got out of the boat, and yet then doubted, and Jesus saved him. And often when I hear this passage taught, it's taught in a way that Peter is the hero of the story. And that the main takeaway of the story is that we should be like Peter. Because we can't, we're not Jesus, so we're trying to find who we can identify with here. Alistair Begg says this, he says, these things are not there so that we can find ourselves in the passage. If we are not careful, we are so self-absorbed in our culture, we will read the Bible with the primary goal of finding ourselves in it. I think that is how a lot of people read the Bible. Perhaps some of you and how you read the Bible. That every time you open the scripture, you say, okay, where am I? Because have you met me? Of course, this must include me. And so we're like, if you, ever, if you ever seen somebody who has a photo of like a significant event, a big event, and they try to find themselves in the photo, and their main obsession with that photo of this historical event is, there am I? And it's like the only reason that that photo is significant is not because you're in there, but because of the event that you were at, because of what the photo is of, and you just happen to be there. And I think that often when we read the Bible, we forget what the centerpiece of the Bible is, why this is really here, and we're just looking for ourselves, and we're just so obsessed with ourselves and absorbed with ourselves that we can't see what really matters in it. And the point of everything, 
that you read in the Bible is not that you would see yourself in the story, but that you would see who Jesus is and then consider what that means for your story. The reason we read the Bible is not so that we would see ourselves in the story, but so that we would see who Jesus is and consider what that means for your story. If we're familiar with the Old Testament, then we already know that Jesus is just demonstrating the character of God. In Job, it says of God that he trampled the waves in the sea. And God questions Job and says, have you entered the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? And so the takeaway here from this occasion that we're reading about in Mark chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 14 is who Jesus is. The takeaway is not you can get out of the boat and you can walk above the waves of fill in the blank in your life with whatever challenge you're going through. The takeaway is get out of the boat because that's where Jesus is. And the takeaway is not you having the courage to overcome whatever obstacles are in your way. The takeaway is wherever Jesus is, go there. Because he has all authority. And it's not authority that he's sharing with anyone. It's authority that he might give us according to his authority. And so today there's a lot of language in, in Christian circles about the word destiny and about, you know, maybe our best life and about unlocking our potential. And so much of this is self-absorbed and me-centric and about just my little life. And it's not about the greatness of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, if your church services and your Bible reading and whatever it is leaves you thinking you're great and not worshiping and exalting who Jesus is, then it is an insufficient faith that possibly damns you to hell. Because heaven is not about you. And if it were, it would suck for the rest of us. Shouldn't have said that. Sorry, some people aren't allowed to say that. <laughs> Heaven is about how incredibly great Jesus is. And how when he is lifted up, how great that is for me and you. So read the Bible and understand how incredible he is and realize that whatever is going on in your story, he can change it. And even if he doesn't change the things that you want change in, in your authority, you still need to be with him because he has all authority even over death. You see, Peter didn't want to go to Jesus because of what Jesus had for Peter. He wanted to go to Jesus because that's where Jesus was. The story isn't about Peter's courage to get out of the boat. It's about Peter's surrender and desperation to get to Jesus. The disciples, though, were struggling with this. They were struggling to understand. And Mark says when the, Jesus fed the multitude, their hearts were hardened towards what Jesus was doing. Because, and we'll see this as we read on, they're more focused on, we need bread and not who the bread of life is, and not what Jesus is doing. They're more focused on we got fed, or we need to be fed, and not on who Jesus is. Man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God, and the word has become flesh, and the word has dwelt among us. Jesus is the bread of life. And I understand that sometimes when we have pain and we need provision, it's hard to see past that and see what our greatest need really is. 
But that's what the Bible wants people to see who've suffered throughout all of history is that our greatest need is met in Christ. And in Christ, there will not be eternal suffering, but eternal glory with him. Now, then I want you to think about the fact that people struggle with their pain and their provision to see who Jesus is. And then I want you to think about the West and America where our struggle is not for our pain and our provision, but it's that we can't get past our desire to be successful and our desire to have the image we have and our entitlement to experience certain things and for our kids to experience certain things. And we have a freedom that typically comes from being a part of an affluent Western nation and we use our freedom not to serve others but for the flesh. And I feel like as a pastor, I'm constantly in arguments with people, not really, but hearing people talk about how their freedom means they don't have to go to church so that they can go do stuff they want to do and they don't have to give so that they can spend the money how they wanna spend. But the freedom that we have in Christ is so that we realize our righteousness is not by us doing these things, but we get to do these things out of response to God's goodness. And it's a struggle time sometimes for me, especially when I interact with people in India and the slums of India or, um, you know, the villages of India, and they just have so much less than most of us have, and yet they get past their need for food and trust in Jesus above that. And then I come here, and we have such abundance, and we're not even committed to Jesus and that freedom. And if I'm not careful, I can be judgy and get frustrated and get angry And then you realize what Jesus does to hard-hearted people. He shows up. He comes to them and says, take heart as I. Do not be afraid. They should have already gotten. When Jesus is with us, there's nothing to be afraid of. Jesus can feed the multitude. And yet they're astounded by Jesus' authority. But he comes to them. Jesus comes down from the mountain with the Father to be with the disciples and tells them, don't be afraid. And that's what Jesus has done. Jesus has come down from the Father, from being with the Father in heaven to hard-hearted people, and he says to us, take heart it is I. Do not be afraid. And some of us are like Peter, and we say, I'm coming to you, Jesus. Wait, wait, wait. Actually, And then he saves us. And some of us are sitting in the boat, not going anywhere. And he comes into the boat. And he shows us who he is. Some of us are on the shore. And when he heals us and he does something, we see who he is. But either way, what God is trying to show us, what Jesus shows us is that he is greater than fear. He is greater than whatever worry and concern and thing it is that we might be going through. And the answer that you need is not more courage and not just getting out of the boat. It's him. It's him. Go to him. Go to him. He has all authority. And I pray that you would open your eyes and open your hearts and see who he is and realize that that changes everything for you. That's the point of this passage and that's the point of this Bible and that's the point of your life. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for 
people in this room. And there's different things that all of us are going through. And Lord, I specifically pray for those that are struggling because of their pain and their provision, their needs for provision, to see past that and realize who you are. And God, you may or may not fix everything for them on this earth, and we don't necessarily understand why. But God, they need you. And their only hope on this earth is you, but more important, their only hope in eternity is you. May they see who you are. And God, help us as believers to be amazed by you and to be changed by the authority you have and to surrender and step out of our comfort zones and to trust in you. And thank you for your grace. <laughs> thank you for your grace when we fail to do that. We don't just need you for salvation once. We need you every day. And thank you that you say, take heart as I. Do not be afraid. May we see you now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>